Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars with regards to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the fine folks at Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia, from which all of these panels were recorded at Metatopia 2017. It's also thanks to the generous contributions of the panel speakers. Now let's get to the show. Episode 139, Writing More Inclusive Alternate Histories. Presented by Eric Simon, Darren Watts, Shoshana Kesek, and Elsa S. Henry. I'm just, uh, yeah, if you guys want to do that, astonishing level of organization. Yeah, right. I know, we're kind of blown away. (gasps) There's a presentation? Wow, I do things. You have slides? I do. Cool. All right. Um, Elsa, would you like to start? Uh, Sure. Hi, Uh, I'm Elsa Shunison Henry. I'm a partially deaf blind trained historian, um, and I'm also a game designer and disability advocate. Um, I've worked on things like Dracula Dossier, Dead Scare, my 1950s Housewives Murdering Zombies game, and um, numerous other historical related thingies. I'm really eloquent today. (laughs) And I also have a degree in dramaturgy, which is how I do all of the history things and the gaming things at once. I guess I'll go. Uh, my name is Shoshana Kesak. I'm a LARPer, LARP and tabletop RPG designer. I'm one half of the creative team behind Phoenix Outlaw Productions, and I also freelance for a number of other companies. Uh, I've worked on games like Dracula Dossier, Changeling uh, 20th Anniversary, and a number of other things. Uh, specifically, my uh, alternate history work has had to do with a game I'm writing right now called Immortal Flight, but it's mostly for working on Seventh uh, Sea, which is one of the game lines that I was both a writer and a developer for. Uh, yeah, so I should be able to, hold on. That's me. <laughs> One second. I'm, a, I'm Darren Watts. I'm the former owner of Indie Press Revolution and Hero Games. Uh, I got out of the owning things business a few years ago, and I mostly freelance now for uh, Star Trek, Doctor Who, and a few other places. Most of my alternate history stuff has been uh, for historic superheroes or, and or pulp, basically, so the eras that I mostly concentrate on. Uh, and I'm Eric Simon. Uh, I am a game designer and I, I, for myself, and I also work for Ulysses North America uh, in a number of capacities. Uh, for my own design, I have focused on uh, specifically 19th century um, and specifically historical steampunk uh, in my steamscape setting, and uh, sort of removing the colonial imperialism, imperialism from steampunk uh, is, is my primary goal. Sure. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, those things and many more. Uh, so the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to give sort of my premise. That's fine. I'm, I'm an actor. I'm already blind. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joining you on that one. So I'm going to talk about uh, a my sort of overall premise and why I'm doing this uh, particular panel, 
and then have the panelists respond to some ideas and then get a little more controversial and talk about some really uh, interesting questions of uh, alternate history. And um, so I'm just going to dive into that while we're dealing with this. Uh, so you can sort of see, uh, I started my research for this panel, um, specifically for this panel, by doing a quick Google search of the words alternate history. And as you can see, it showed 14 books. And these, the things that you see in this list are some of the common problems that we run into in terms of alternate history. We've got Nazis and Confederates winning. We've got Europe winning harder than usual. Uh, I've highlighted a few standouts that are not along those lines. Um, and uh, so there's, you know, the Stephen King story is mostly about don't change history. Uh, so that is different, but it doesn't really count. The two that are particularly interesting to me are kill everyone in Europe with the plague so that China and the Arab Empire can do better. That's an interesting alt history to me. Uh, and um, the uh, putting Israel in Alaska uh, is, is also a particularly interesting approach. That's a temperature um, change. But it's, uh, but it's also... It's also still a story where the Nazis are doing quite well, uh, which is a very common theme. Uh, so we think about alt history, and it's often what I call crap sack alt history. Um, and I kind of want to take a, a look at why this is. And my, my core premise is that all alternate history has an agenda. Whenever you are writing alternate history, you are doing so with a purpose in mind. And if you don't know what that purpose is, it's something subconscious. You still have one. Uh, and that is something that I believe very strongly. So I was kind of looking at this from a couple of perspectives, thinking about all of the, uh, the negative assumptions. So we have this uh, sort of negative speculation. What happened if the Nazis win? What happened if the Confederates would win? Um, and a lot of that is I think intended subconsciously to make us feel better about what actually happened. Because if, for example, we think what would happen if the Confederates win, we ignore the fact that they did. And that things like the 13th Amendment and the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the, um, the, uh, imprisonment clause, the, the prisoner clause in the 13th Amendment, all of the, the rules that came later in the 19, in the, uh, 19th century, made it so that white supremacy could go on in spite of the loss in the Civil War. So when we say, what if the Confederates won, we're ignoring the terrible things that did happen. And we're saying, well, you should be happy with what happened because look how much worse it could be. So that's my feeling about negative speculation. And then there are the ideas about positive speculation that Here's what could happen, what could have happened, and it's a way for us to highlight things and people and events um, that were suppressed in real history, but if we bring them out, they give us hope of other things that could be. Uh, and that's sort of where I uh, lean towards in my own inclusion. Um, I sort of raise the question then, is it possible to have neutral speculation? I personally do not think there, it is possible. Uh, but at this point, I do kind of want to see how the panelists react to, first of all, does all, uh, does all alt history have an agenda? And how do you feel about negative versus positive speculation? 
so Elsa, do you want to start us off with that? Sure. Um, so I guess my first comment is that history isn't, there's no neutrality in history. There is no way to look at history and talk about history without taking a side, <coughs> because right. history is written by the dominant paradigm. So whoever wrote the history, they're the people who survived. Mm -hmm. They're usually the people who had the records that they could keep. They're, they, they're, there are already power structures in place. So there is no such thing as neutral history, which means that there is no such thing as neutral speculative fiction history. There can't be. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting your point about um, new negative and positive speculation because I think I've seen some negative speculation that goes interesting places, but I think most of it tends to be in time travel rather than straight up alt history work. Um, Connie Willis's Doomsday Book is absolutely negative speculation, sure. but it is 100% inclusive in terms of gender diversity. So I think, I think it can work, but it's very tricky. That, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Shoshana, did you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, I mean, coming at it from a, a fiction and a, and a game design perspective, I actually don't believe that negative speculation, uh, neutral speculation is actually something that's possible at all. Uh, I think that whenever you approach something uh, that you're designing or creating, you have an agenda whether or not you, you know it or not, actually. So even if you're writing a fiction story, you still have an agenda that's coming through. And certainly when you're designing a game, part of the fundamentals of creating one is you have thematic ideas um, that you are creating uh, within the, the framework of your game. So I don't think that it's possible in any way to do that, and especially when you're taking a view on the history that you want to create off of what already exists. Um, because while you might say that you think that history is just a, a, a neutral state, which as Elsa said, I don't believe it is anyway, um, but uh, you might say that that's neutral because that is what is. Um, but at the same time, when you're taking what elements you choose from it, you are setting up the framework of an agenda uh, automatically, especially if you pick and choose. You're picking the elements that fit what you believe the framework should be, and that tells a story, again, even though even if you don't necessarily know what it is. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's even possible in fiction at all. Forget about it when you're designing games for people to interact with. Sure. So, right. Yeah. Uh, Darren, what do you want to add to yeah, this? Yeah, I pretty much agree with both of those. I don't think it's possible to write fiction without an agenda. Um, I'm, you know, curious to see where we go on like the purpose of actually using negative speculation because mm -hmm. I believe negative speculation can be used for a positive yeah. cause. Mm -hmm. But that being said, for it, I completely agree. There's no such thing as neutral history, um, and there is no such thing as uh, as a. Uh, you know, a neutral viewpoint of, oh, we're just presenting facts. That's not, that, that's not fiction, right? I mean, that's not, fiction, uh, you know, almost by its nature is going to involve um, conflict. It's going to involve, uh, you know, uh, within the fictional structure, uh, uh, conflicts between groups for that. And so, you know, there, there, there's, there's no way to write that. There's no way to present that for somebody else to write within without making some assumptions without coming at it from a viewpoint that's just also neutrality is boring right yeah it doesn't make for good storytelling either so yeah right. i would say that i don't think that there's actually some such a thing as neutral creation right i don't think that that actually exists sure and I'm, I'm not sure why you would want it if it did right, right? exactly it's like, certainly nobody's like? goal to get there that's milk stuff so. we don't yeah. need that right all right so no one's biting on my uh, yeah sorry no <laughs> sorry no it's fine it's fine i don't think so either uh are you biting on the neutral speculation idea oh, a little bit <laughs> uh, did you guys ever see hbo's Rome? yep yep yes yep absolutely so it's not really alternate history but it's certainly an alternate take 
time so, the Roman era, but it, it was very, it, it, the, the treatment of your protagonists, they were mass murderers, stoics, thieves, racketeers. You know? So the question that you should ask yourself, yes. if you see something that is neutral, or appears to be, or especially claims to be mm-hmm. neutral, look closely at what is the agenda. What is being included? What is not being included? Right. Um, th- because those are very important considerations. I don't know Rome well enough to speak to it, but maybe someone. I do. Yes, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I'll say that I think Rome actually uh, was making a particular statements about uh, the operation of individuals within uh, the Roman setting, and specifically saying that like. Uh, individuals can change the world and the history, which is why they have these two side characters that become incredibly important. Right. And that is Great an extremely man, American idea. It is an extremely like independent dudes coming in and like making big historical changes. It's a very American Western cinema idea. And I think that it's try- it was trying to make a lot of associations between the American cowboy-esque hero and ancient Rome. Like I think there was like a lot of that power going on and specific statements about gender. Like there were very specific like commentaries going on about gender. So uh, yeah, I don't think the show actually is super neutral uh, about a lot of things. Religion. Well, Religion. Take a side, you know, in, in between the, the great powers of Roman time. Absolutely. So here's uh, some things can be neutral on certain axes, yeah. but that doesn't mean they fail to have an agenda. Yeah. And they're still they they're still picking something to to say and something to focus on and. You definitely want to look at why and and how intentional was that. Every, every moment of a story that you put on screen or every word that you put on a page is making a choice. Yeah, for sure. Right there. I mean, Just by choosing what to what to actually show, what to present as part of your story. Right. So. I mean, in that sense, you're right. I mean, but yeah, uh, certainly the, the great person theory is a pervasive one in history, in write, our writing about history. Right. Um, and it's and a particularly Western one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. So. Um, so good. We're getting started. My next section, and uh, I have some starters up here, but this is also a point where I do want to involve the audience. Uh, but I'm going to go to some controversial thoughts. And I want to go one by one uh, through these. And if we all agree on one, we'll move on. Uh, but if, if there's debate to be had, I want to have that debate. So the first point I want to discuss is pastiche is always problematic, yes or no? Uh, so I want to go with uh, uh, Shoshana, would you start us off? Well, on does this? everybody understand pastiche? Do you know what pastiche is? Okay. okay. Uh, so pastiche is the act of creating a fictional quasi-historical setting or event by taking specific uh, elements from real history, remixing them, and packaging them in a different way. Um, So so we're going to talk about pastiche. Um, So the the example that I have from fiction, uh, there's this um, Australian writer who did a series of Asian steam... uh, Asian-themed steampunk novels, uh, the first of which is Sword Dancer. uh, And it is, um, uh, the author's name is Jay Kristoff, and it is a pastiche of Japan, and it is very problematic in many ways. Um, So that's that's my example that I will go with. Uh, So that's my statement. Let's discuss. Uh, no, pastiche is not always problematic. Okay. Um, 
So I think I think in, we're going back to intentionality uh, and also execution. So right. I think the you, what they say about art, how do you know the difference between good and bad art? It's all in the execution, right? It's like a, a person can look at a piece of art and say, has this been done well? And uh, at that point, that can change the, uh, the intentionality behind it. Um, I think that the question is uh, how a pastiche is done. What is the intentionality behind the design? And how does it represent, A, represent the cultures um, that it is trying to draw from? And then on top of that, uh, what, is the, what is the thematics that you're trying to go to? What is the statement that you're trying to make about not only the history that it's drawing from, but the, uh, the history that you're trying to tell? Mm -hmm. um, it's, I think it's no secret, like, 7C is basically draws a lot from uh, the modern world. And uh, when designing things, you know, I've, I've written for a number of the, you know, the, the settings, and we talked about, uh, you know, what, when we're designing these things, what are we taking, what are we leaving behind, uh, and why are we taking those things, and what does it say? Um, so when we look at it, are we just drawing on tropes and regurgitating these old tropes, or, but, or what are we taking and trying to express in a positive light. One, one of my favorites, for example, uh, doing was, and, and it's not out yet, so I can't talk a lot about it, but it was, we talked about South America and how we wrote, uh, it's called The New World. And it was, uh, how do you do that uh, when most of the uh, materials that you can draw on as research materials about South American cultures were written by the conquistadors, were written by the people who survived? How do you do that and still have the intentionality to do a good job towards the cultures that you represented? Uh, and we ended up saying, like, let's write a book about what happened if the conquistadors got their asses kicked by everybody who, who came over. We're not going to ignore the fact that they came over and the horrors that happened, but we're going we're gonna to deal with it in a different way. That is the intentionality that we came into the book with, and that's how we tried to do it. It's still pastiche, but are we approaching it from the whitewashing perspective? No. Are we approaching it from the everything's happy perspective? No. Right. Um, and mm -hmm. so that's, that's where I come in on that side of things. Sure. Ideally, I think a good pastiche, a pastiche that has some sort of like artistic merit uh, to it, is saying something about both things that it's mixing, yes. right? I mean, it's it's uh, by placing, you know, events or ideas or themes from one culture into another time, into another place. You're talking about both. You're creating ideally a communication between those, and that can be tremendously positive artistically mm -hmm. if done, you know. Well, if it's, if it's done right, basically, mm -hmm. um, and so no, there's no there, there's no reason not to do it. It's part of where you know, like the art of what we're doing comes from. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's again, it's doing it correctly. Um, right. I f I also find that in some ways, getting people to stop being bigoted can sometimes come from introducing them to the exact same thing that already exists, but relabeling re it. Yeah. Right. One of the best books that I, I love is by Guy Gabriel Kay, and it's called The Lions of Al-Rasan. Mm. And it is about the religious wars yep. in Spain between Jews, Christians, and Muslims. Yep. But they are all renamed. They have complete, he completely, he tinkers with the religions to make sure that they are not carbon copies. And it is a beautiful piece of fiction. It's actually, I think, one of my favorite books about Judaism yeah. without being about Judaism. Right. Because sure. it's beautiful. And I think, so no, I don't think pastiche is at all always problematic. I think okay. sometimes it solves the problems. All right. What was the name again? Uh, the Lions of Al-Rasan. Lions of Al-Rasan. Yeah. 
by Guy Gabriel K. If you look up Guy Gabriel K, you are likely yeah, to easy. find it yeah. more yes. easily. Also, I find several other really good books by him. Uh, yes. Yeah, um, so. Song for Arbonne, also really good. Yes. I think that it might be difficult for especially hitting like marginalized identities in all history or marginalized groups to do it without doing pastiche. Mm -hmm. Because if you were to say, like for example, well, what if Marco Polo had been Jewish? Or what if, you know, whatever. What if X had been Y? And to bring those alternative uh, or the lesser, you know, if, what if somebody other than a white person had done this? You mm -hmm. know, right. how would it have been? How would it have been different? And so I think that falls under pastiche. I, but I, I want to specifically answer that. Yeah. Um, because that is an important point. Um, I, I think that those kinds of speculations are valuable, but more valuable is the ability to take real historical figures that have been forgotten okay. and to bring them to the forefront. Um, my, I have two examples for this. The first one is what I call the Bass Reeves problem. Uh, does anybody know who Bass Reeves is? Uh, Bass Reeves was the baddest lawman in the West. He was absolutely freaking amazing. He had the best mustache, period. Um, he also had, uh, he wore disguises he left silver coins as his calling card, and most of the st and he was never shot, uh, though he took in hundreds of criminals. And he walked right into the Oklahoma Territory, into their dens where they had uh, signs saying trespassers will be shot, um, and and other lawmen died all the time. His stories are what we base the Lone Ranger on, mm -hmm. but he was black, and so. The media of the early 20th century and the, uh, and the mid 20th century created this pastiche character who was white to make him more acceptable and to, to take over those stories. Um, the other one that I will throw out there uh, is Charlie Parkhurst. Yep. <laughs> uh, uh, Charlie Parkhurst um, was a fantastic uh, wagon driver, um, coach driver in uh, California in the mid 1800s. And he, he drove uh, all sorts of places and, um, and had some phenomenal stories and he was just a cantankerous old man. Um, when he was being buried, it was discovered that he was assigned female. Mm -hmm. uh, he had lived since five as male. His memorial in California says that he is the first woman to vote in the United States, which is a travesty. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so, so that is an example. There are all kinds of these examples of wonderful, inclusive people that we should be celebrating. And so while I do think that those speculations are, are interesting and, and can be valuable, I want, to, um, I want to encourage people to look for the sure. real history to grab onto. Someday I'm going to write a book about Virginia Hall and it's going to make all of you cry. <laughs> so on on the, the flip side, there's so mm -hmm. only so far back you can go a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at like a medieval history, because so much of that is, is lost, we only have maybe these, the sliver and that sort of, that's where right. I would say it has to yeah. be so, necessary because we don't have so we have Right, and we do have research that, for instance, there's an entire Tumblr, and I have the yeah. uh, have this on my list of resources so at the end, uh, the medieval POC dot, uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> Tumblr. Um, it's an amazing Tumblr that shows all kinds of medieval art with people of color in the art, and 
clearly they were there and they have been erased. And so, yes, you're right. We don't have their specific stories. Right. And so that's something where we have to sort of interpolate. Um, so yeah, uh, the one thing I will, I do want to say uh, about pastiche before we move on um, and see if those of you who have said, no, it's not a problem, uh, always would agree with this. There's a danger in pastiche, which is that um, it is much more likely that you bring your own biases and that you are going to leave out things that, that would change your view, your own view. 100%. Yeah, um, so yeah. That I agree with. So I, so I think to, it's, it's something to be very cautious about. You have yes. to be really careful when you're doing pastiche that you don't yeah. inadvertently forget people, that you don't leave people behind because you are creating an alternate story. Right. And so when you, when you do pastiche, it is absolutely a tricky thing to do, but I don't think it is consistently always problematic. Mm -hmm. Right. All right. Yes. Yeah. Say it louder. Sorry. Role-playing game called Kikanda is recently created over the past year. Um, Kickstarted and funded and everything. And the intention from the start was to create a mythological world similar to that you would find in D&D, except the, the basis of it was in African mythology and folklore. Yes. So they're drawing for a variety of sources from Africanists all over the continent. And from, in some cases, from even like religious practices that, that people currently have. But, I mean, even though I feel like in that case, bias actually is useful mm -hmm. because, I mean, from the outset, like, this is what we want oh, to no. do. We sure. have to create a world that is very specifically African in nature. Yes. Right. Uh, I would say it's much easier to do pastiche of your own personal cultural background. Um, I think that that's true. Right. Yes, behind you. Yeah, following up on that, I was just wondering, do you think Game of Thrones is a pastiche? I do. It absolutely is a pastiche. Oh, like, yeah. kind of, what was the question? Is Game of Thrones a pastiche? Oh, yeah, absolutely. it's more of the roses. Exactly, I was yeah. going to say. Right. I, think, I think it actually is an example of really bad pastiche, actually. I agree. Um, but, but, no, understand, understand when I say that, though, I love Game of Thrones. I watch it constantly. But I think that the reason why it is bad pastiche but good as a, as a franchise, as it is, is that uh, it is taking pastiche and kind of tipping it on its head and keeping the worst parts. <laughs> like, it's just keeping like all the uncomfortable and necessary things and then leaving out some of the great things that could have been brought in. You right? want to talk about crap sack history? Yeah, that's... <laughs> Why can't we just have Eleanor back which game win, guys? Yeah, I mean, that's... Well, hopefully, tune in next season, let's hope. But like... I mean, th th I think that's the biggest problem, and I think we're going to get there, right? Is that, uh -huh. like, um, there, is, there is reason enough that in history, there, uh, the history that we know is not the history that actually happened. And there are stories all the time that are being unearthed throughout history, like in the tumblers and like in the different things, where people are talking about uh, the, uh, what we would call minority representation or underrepresented populations. And then to just take uh, the, the most accepted history and put it into a show like Game of Thrones is just reinforcing the worst parts that pastiche can give us. Um, and that's why the show annoys me, but I love Done it. Done primarily for shock value yeah. as opposed yeah. to any sort of artistic merit. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Also, stop using blindness as a punishment, guys. I know this isn't that panel, but just no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, second point. Uh, my, my second assertion. There is no such thing as a positive stereotype. Uh, Darren, you haven't started one. Do you want to start us off, off with this one? 
There's no. Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> Have fun there, man. No. Yeah. You know, I, I, I I agree with it. I certainly agree with the you know with the with the premise that I believe is behind that statement. Um, I think obviously it is possible uh, to create a stereotype that you believe is positive, right? There's a, there's there. It is possible to assign characteristics but. to a group, but that's no more <laughs> honest or real or useful than you know than any other. It's the what? It's the you know the the Louis C.K. joke, right? It's like oh, all Asian people are filled with caramel or something like that, right? Like why is that not a positive thing? You know, it's not. Uh, it's it's not a value. To do that, it's possible to do it, but it's just as bad as a negative one. So, mm-hmm. anything to add, Elsa? I feel like I'm on a history game show. <laughs> <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah. So, yeah, um, stereotypes are bad, but right, what I think you're trying to get at is that tropes are bad, and that when we use them in things like games, they're basically a fallback measure. You're not quite sure how to represent a group, so you fall back on the trope because you haven't figured out quite how to make it unique or how to reinterpret. Um, This is why you get told not to use tropes in fiction writing because ultimately somebody will look at it and go, oh, hey, Arya Stark is the blind warrior. Yeah, I know that trope. Make it go away. Uh Uh, So I'm going to disagree, actually. So um, I believe uh, that... Stereotypes uh, exist for a reason, and the reason is that there is a, uh, a, a limit in certain cases to people's ability to uh, parse uh, individuality. I think that that's actually a case. Like when you're talking about uh, accepting new concepts, there are not everybody, but there are certain wide, widespread ideas that basically people will need to latch on to before they start seeing the individuality of characters. And so there are stereotypes that are positive stereotypes, um, and there are even tropes, I think, that are positive tropes. I was going to say, I would separate stereotypes yeah. and tropes they're, from it. They're two separate there are things. tropes that are useful, the yeah. ones that don't include stereotypes, right? Yeah. I mean, like, the, when you're using trope to mean a shorthand fictional concept that yeah. I'm trying to get across to a reader sure. or something but for this. But that's a slightly different thing from the stereotype. Exactly, right. right. Well, that's what I'm, I'm saying. Yeah. And I think, I think that uh, stereotypes as a starting point are uh, inherently useful for uh, when you're trying to convey information in a very short period of time. Right. Uh, when you're trying to hook somebody. Uh, and then, if you start with the blind warrior, for example, but then uh, build it out into something that actually is outside of the stereotype, um, where, with nuance and with depth, um, sometimes it is a, it is a, uh, it's a useful tool. Uh, but it has to be done conscientiously. It can't just be done uh, because that's the, the stereotype and that's the only thing you know. It has to be right. chosen specifically for a reason and used intentionally within the design uh, to, to make a statement. Uh, why is it there? Is there a reason? Or did you just fall back on it because you're lazy? That's two completely different things. I so lazy stereotypes are best. Yeah. Yes. I can think of one stereotype that I think we can all agree on is good. Hmm. Nazis are bad. Yeah, like that's a good example of what I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Fair. Okay. Um, So uh, I will, I will jump at at you as uh, I just want to share very quickly why I put this on there, Um, which is uh, in in education uh, the idea of stereotype threat, um, Mm -hmm. and that uh, if you are if if you are 
if expectations from society are built around you being a certain way and you are not that way, it is negative regardless of whether the stereotype that people expect you to be is positive or yeah. not. Right. Yes. Um, and that is, exactly. uh, that is something that I, I consider to be a major issue. And it's one of the reasons that I try to, uh, I believe that I'm, I'm falling, falling pretty strongly still on the, on the side of stereotypes are, are, are always bad. And I think, I think that uh, stereotype threat can actually be used positively also uh, within fiction. I think that the notion of, and, and game design, it's the notion of uh, using both stereotype and stereotype threat to then contextualize the thematics that you're trying to put forward. Like right. if you want to say that I'm, you know, you're creating characters that are stereotypical and then creating the other, uh, like I could come up in my head with a good game that then is about how stereotype threat is a problem, right? Mm -hmm. And so like if that is the design that you're creating, um, you can still make a positive impact, I think, with that kind of design, but you have to be really careful about like what you're saying uh -huh. and how you're presenting it. Uh, so you're sort of talking about only using stereotypes in terms of interrogating them. Um, or, or presenting the opportunity to interrogate. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are games where I think I, I actually tend to be uh, almost agnostic in certain cases with designs, unless I'm creating something with like, I want to interrogate this idea. That also has to be a choice, by the way. Uh, I often like to present games which have, here are the thematics, let the players then decide how they're going to interact with it. And you know what? Sometimes they might come out the other side with some really uncomfortable stuff. And like, but it's their choice whether or not to interrogate it. Right. It also occurs yes. to me from a design perspective that Powered by the Apocalypse playbooks are essentially all stereotypes. Yes. Like, right. you, you are literally <laughs> picking a stereotype to base a character off of, and what you do with that stereotype is yours to do, but that's essentially what a playbook is. Well, most yeah. splats are. Like, right, yeah. splats, whatever you want to call them, but, like, that's a horrible word for it. But, like, I mean, the warrior, the, the bard, all these things. These are stereotypes, or to be Jungian for 12 seconds, archetypes. You know what I mean? Right. And, and, yep, two hands go down. There it goes. But, like, <laughs> like that's, the, that's the purpose of archetypes. It's like we're tapping into these fundamental ideas, whether or not they're positive or negative. But, like... All of games pretty much will start out that way, right? Like when you sit at the table, you're not like suddenly saying, I can come up with this incredibly, con you know, uh, contextualized complex idea within 30 seconds. You need a hook that will give you the basis. And so like- You need a shared language. Exactly. That you're talking and to that's what archetypes are about, yeah. So, all right. Um, did we address your question? Well, it's, it might be just semantics, but um, when we talk about like tropes versus like stereotypes versus um, I'm wondering if it Because I feel like tropes can be a very useful tool in creating any type of fiction, but cliches are like stereotypes in most cases where like it's a very essentialized, generalized concept, whereas right. tropes to me have a little bit more nuance than that, if they're used correctly. And, and still I'll go back and say that cliche has a shorthand that is the same shorthand language that we all can use. I think, for example, I've been really uh, critical of, of the 1980s, like pastiches that we're going back to right now and homages that we're going to with like Stranger Things and stuff like that, uh, where most of those things are actually full of super cliches that we're familiar with now because we've been through the 80s and the 90s and the rehashes. But when we go back, there's a sense of really good storytelling that's going on that's using these cliches to extremely good effect. And I think that, uh, so for that reason, even though they're familiar, they're still presenting with really uh, positive intent and positive use uh, uh, things. So I think that that shared language 
has a place that's really important mm -hmm. depending on how it's used. You know what I'm saying? So. Yeah. Yes? You can't invert a cliche unless you use a cliche. Interesting. So like, for example, you brought up Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the takeaways, I, I'm not going to spoil, but like, um, <laughs> that, that show from beginning to end would have been completely different if the adults didn't believe and respect yeah. the children yep. and treat them like their experiences were valid. Which if you look back at like a lot of the 80s movies, the adults exist to blow off the kids and to not believe them. Goonies. Goonies, yeah. So like Joyce and Hopper in believing the kids and in, in engaging with them and their truth inverts that you have to have that cliche to invert it. To, uh, to use a historical example that I've put into my own design, um, in examining an Asian steampunk setting, uh, I specifically examined the tradition of the ninja, uh, which was invented by Hokusai in the early 1800s. The idea of the black-clad shinobi was invented by his art. Uh, so it is a cliche that comes out of the culture at the time. And so I was able to examine historically, this is not what real shinobi are, but a lot of people, even at the time in the nineteenth in 19th century of Japan, believe that, and that's interesting. Um, so, so yeah, sure. Uh, okay. Are we on the next one? Yeah. I, love the next one. I, I, I knew this would hit a couple of people on this yeah, panel. Let's go. So I will read this one aloud. Um, <clears throat> never add slavery, genocide, or eugenics to your alternate history. Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> I knew this would be a controversial one. Yeah, right. <laughs> that was just my reaction to the question. Yeah, okay, good. Okay, so. oh, okay, very, very. Yeah. Go on. You want to go first? Oh, no, you uh, go first. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> uh, no, I disagree with that completely. Okay. That's, that's absolutely. Look, I am about as tired as everybody else about Nazis and the Nazis and the by the way Nazis. Like, I got to deal with enough white supremacists in this world that I don't need to deal with that in my fiction. That being said, I think that. Uh, if we are to take out uh, genocide and slavery and and all, all these different things, we are whitewashing the past. Like that's we are alternate histories have to include the good and the bad. That there's a balance, uh, but again, it's intentionality. You have to do it on for a reason. Right. It's not just cool. All right, this is a great you know. It's it's the zombie rule also. Like, uh -huh. why are you using zombies? Oh, because I can't use Nazis. Like, decide what you want to be saying and then use that intentionally. And so, like, I'm working on a game with Nicholas Horniak right now, one of my co-creators called Ashen Legacies, and it's about uh, a future world that uh, harkens back to the colonial times. Uh, and we were talking about, like, uh, well, why all these things? And are we going to talk about slavery? And are we going to talk about, like, the really difficult parts of American history? And we're like, yeah, why wouldn't we? There's no reason for us to like take out all of these things and then still expect us to have a reasonable discussion about what American history would look like. There's no way to do that um, and still engage with the um, proper level of respect for the suffering and difficulties that people actually have gone through. Um, and I'm also of the opinion like even uh, doing like fantasy kingdom versions of these things is still okay because honestly like yeah you're using an alibi by making it orcs right you are you, but you have to do it for a reason why are you doing it but still writing stories about orcs and, and and fairies and whatever it is that have these things speak about a human condition that is important to discuss and uh, not everything can be unicorns and, and happy bunnies like that's just not how the world works so the the question that I'm sort of presenting with this one yeah is is it ever okay to add more than there was in real history? Ah, yes, in my opinion. Yes. Okay. Yes. Go on. <laughs> um, 
Elsa, do you want to? I mean, like, I, I believe if, if we're exploring something, made a face. If we're exploring something that happened, uh, and you have a reason why you think that you want to explore, if it got worse, um, there's got to be a reason behind it. Like, there's uh, one of my least favorite settings is like, what if the Nazis won, right? Well, every time I read that, I'm like, well, then I'm screwed, and all of my ancestors are screwed. My entire culture doesn't exist, and that's erasure of Jews completely in a very serious way. Uh, and so the man in the high castle like made me nauseous when I watched it, and I had nightmares. I one episode and couldn't do it. Yeah, I made I made it one episode and had nightmares for three weeks. That was like how it is because you're basically saying me and all of my family are dead. Um, that being said, I think that it's a really interesting examination of what the world would look like. Do I want to read it? No. Do I think it's overdone? Yes. Uh, do it better. <laughs> like that's my answer. If you're gonna do it right, do it better. Examine something and make it real. Don't make it just a what if comic book. Like, yeah. Um, so I'm about to say something. This is on record, which is sort of complicated. Yeah. Um, but I actually think that it, it's putting all of these things together is problematic for the question because uh -huh. it's a different answer for each one. Yeah. And Please. In, I'm, okay. I'm going to take eugenics because disability yeah. is where I work. Mm -hmm. I am actually hoping that people will do more writing around the issue of eugenics yep. because disability is already being erased in our in our genre. Yep. Um, dis you are already participating in writing about eugenics if you are writing any kind of cybernetic enhancements in which everybody in the future just doesn't have a disability or an illness. Or magical cures. That's, or magical cures. Yeah. All of this is a form of eugenics. Yep. Yeah, that's going to somehow end up on the internet. Um, so basically, I think, yes, these things can be used. Yes, history is horrible and humanity is awful, and if we erase those things, then we are not doing ourselves any fucking favors. However, we have to be careful about it, because slavery is awful, eugenics is awful. All of these things are horrible, horrible things, and if you don't deal with them properly, you're going to hurt a lot of people. You also have, have to have context, I yes. think, especially for the time period. Like, I'm also, I'm, I'm all about, like, the discussion about death of the author and, and stuff like that. But I think that something that is on television today, for example, uh, w uh, is different than something that was written you know, or, or on TV mm -hmm. 10 years ago that we're then revisiting. So, for example, I'm going to use the example of uh, the writers of Game of Thrones. We're like, we're going to do Confederacy as, like, a TV series that's coming out now in America when, like, there are such serious we issues going on. We, but that's the thing. It, if it was on TV 15 years ago, right, would it have a different context? Maybe. It might have been worse. It might have been better. But the, you have to be conscious of like what you're creating, when you're creating it, and what you're trying to say. This the is, editorial viewpoint of what you're doing. Yeah. Before, this always has to be. And this is actually consciously why separate from. But it's also separate from the setting itself, yeah. right? Yeah. I make a living writing idealized alternate histories, right? My my alternate histories have superheroes punching Nazis in them and everything, and yep. it's tremendous. And as a general rule, everything does work out much better than it did in the sure. real world, right? Mm -hmm. That's part of the fantasy the escapism of yep. the kind of products that I make, right? Yeah. At no point do I ever erase any terrible thing that happened, right? right? At no point do I say Japanese internment didn't happen yeah. or is a thing that like gets erased from my World War II stories right. from it, but by God, I'm not going to allow anything in the editorial viewpoint of what I publish or what I write to be anything other than harshly critical of that, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no version of this where it's like, oh, we're going to explore the, you know, 
the, the pluses and minuses of Japanese yeah. internment. No, that's fucking ridiculous. That's, mm -hmm. you know. I'll give you a, a, a really. Actually, oh, sorry, sorry, go too. on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, because I want to go back to the man in the high castle real quick. Okay. Um, and this is a trigger warning thing, but I want to use it as an example. There is a moment, and I think it's the first or second episode, where one of the yep. characters says, There's ash on the yep. wound, yep. and I can smell it. And they, so, they basically say, That's where all the disabled people go. Yep. Right. And that was the point at which I stopped watching the show because mm -hmm. they actually, not only did they take it a step further, they made it worse. Yeah, it was right. the nausea and factor. Like, that I just, me. I. Yeah. So that's what we're saying is that your editorial viewpoint needs to not be potentially, oh, look, we're, we're not going to deal with this, so we're just going to kill more people. Right. Uh, I think it's also uh, going back to like the genocide question, right? Um, if you're playing a Wild West game, you're actually actively talking about genocide too. Mm -hmm. Sure. I mean, like you have to accept the fact that like Wild West is super about you know the fact that like the expansion which murdered Native Americans across the country, and so you're actively talking about the genocide of the people that lived here. Uh, but these stories are so full in and rich in their own way, but uh, and, and they participate in a in a pastiche that is dangerous mm -hmm. uh, because it talks about the, the helpful Native Americans or the, the dangerous Apaches that you're fighting. And even if you're trying to avoid that by trying to do a good job about rep a good job about representing Native Americans, what you'll often come into is uh, not acknowledging the fact that there is a genocide because it's not accepted uh, uh, as, as a genocide and what it is. Um, I, I wrote a game uh, called Blood on the Trail recently, which was a, a fate setting uh, which is basically Oregon Trail with vampires. Um, you're you're on a train, a wagon train going west, and the wagon trains basically are carrying vampires across the country because that's how they can feed as they're traveling to like these new settlements. So you're basically traveling by day and dealing with like, oh, I'm dying of dysentery, and then oops, vampires. But um, one of the big things that we had to face when we were writing this damn thing was like, what are you going to say about Native Americans? And like one of the big parallels that I was trying to make between the vampires and and like the, the, the settlers was these are the the colonizers. Mm -hmm. These are the people who are feeding on the people. Oh wait, what were the colonizers doing at that point? Which is feeding on the people in the land. Um, but somebody came to me and they're like, "What are you going to say about Native Americans in there?" And I was like, "I'm not." And that was a choice that I actively said. And there was a sidebar in the book that said we need to acknowledge what was going on in the genocide of native uh, of the native peoples and the first nation peoples of this of this country. However, this game is going to approach it from a different perspective to speak of something else, and that is the choice of refocusing the lens without uh, basically uh, taking away from the thematics that I'm trying to do here by saying I'm not discounting this genocide, but that's not what this story is about. Um. Which uh, I think you can do. Right. So uh, one of the ways that I handled this, so in creating a steampunk setting, I specifically chose 1871 as the starting mm -hmm. play date and led up to that with, um, I can't avoid slavery, I can't avoid the Trail of Tears, but I can interrupt things like the buffalo slaughter. I can uh, change how things are... Uh, you know, with with the timeline that I have, I can reform things. I can improve them sooner. Um, my my personal motto in writing my setting was no wounded knee. Uh, that was I, I I could not accept that there would be a wounded knee because that was the ending of the war against Native Americans. At that point, they had lost, um, and so I had to interrupt that. Um, and what I do, um, just a, a quick piece of advice, and I'll. I'll Re reiterate this at the end. Um, the way that I write alternate history 
is not only uh, a lot of people will tell you, oh, pick a starting point and change it and examine what happens. Um, so what I do is I look for intentional shift points, things that I must avoid. When I was writing China, if I do not want China to fall to Imperial Britain and lose the Second Opium War, then there can't be a Taiping Rebellion. And so now I start looking, how do I avoid the Taiping Rebellion? And I work back from that. So I look at those critical moments of what must I avoid in order for this outcome to happen? And that's how you build an agenda. Timelines are super useful, mm -hmm. um, but they're also super dangerous mm -hmm. because if you look at a timeline and you're not paying attention to three steps before and three steps after, you're actually missing the point of the timeline. Mm -hmm. It's one of the things that they teach you when you're studying history at a certain level where they're like, so look at everything around it because that's what influences your incident yeah. point. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, and it's a butterfly effect. Uh, yeah. I mean, like you have to. So for Ashen Legacies, the, the 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 breakout point is that America became a monarchy, not a democracy, <laughs> um, and what ripples that did across the world, um, as opposed to. And so we had to literally sit there and deconstruct the history of the world based on what America would be. And we sat there for weeks, mm -hmm. but we decided. And this is where I'm sort of like well, your your choice on wounded knee. Maybe I wouldn't necessarily agree with. Mm -hmm. Is that we were like we're still going to hit all the major things that happened in, um, in US history, but it's going to be different. Mm -hmm. So for example, there was still the Civil War. How did that happen? What if you know Lincoln was then you know King Lincoln? Like he wasn't King Abraham the first. Like that's how it works instead. What does that mean? And what does that mean instead for what it would look like? Uh, but we decided that we were gonna keep those things just twist how they happened so that we weren't necessarily avoiding uh, incredibly bad, horrible you know, things that happened but uh, the reasons behind them would change. Right. And then from there, uh, create the, the history going forward as far as like where we need to go and understand that they create ripples that go out and out and out and keep changing. So we had to talk about things like mm -hmm. the Opium Wars and we're like, how is the United States and then Britain and then there were flowcharts. But like, and, yeah. and how does that happen? You know? Thank you. Oh dear, we're yeah, we got, I gotta Dang. get to summaries really quick. Yeah. Um, really quick and then we'll do the rip around. Yes. Sure. sure. Yes. It speaks to a bigger issue is that when you do alternate histories, it tends to focus on people in the past tense. Um, for African Americans, it's slavery. For Native Americans, it's as if they don't currently exist now. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's frustrating um, because on one hand, I, I really enjoy the idea of, of posing like what if, but on the other hand, it's like we've had. 200 some odd years of history since like the 1900s would be nice to see us in a yes. for Jews it's the holocaust yeah. and like sure. that's where the Nazi stories are all like always about that right uh, so uh, can I do quick one minute yeah. of recommendations from each of you and, or, uh, so um, yes uh, just anything oh okay. uh, your advice <laughs> like I don't have a book of the list right. your, your <laughs> advice your recommendations right. I do yeah. I have some at the end right. uh, okay. <laughs> so um Darren, I, I, well, I think it's just to quickly uh, cover for this. I, I think it's also important when talking about intention, and when talking about uh, you know like kind of a, a mindfulness for this, uh, that there is still a difference between writing a novel and writing a game product, right? Mm -hmm. I yes. mean, these are still different products with different end goals for them, and not everything 
there's there's a level at which a game product needs to have uh, openness to allow the players, the GMs, and whoever yeah. to like come in and get into that, right? Like when you're writing a novel, it's very easy to kind of like make all of these artistic decisions and all of these, you know, like uh, uh, moral decisions, as you were saying, of like mm -hmm. where can I do this. It, for yourself, right? You're the only one responsible for that. It's your name on the book, it's your name on the page. Yeah. When you are opening that up into a dialogue with players and GMs and hoping that they will interact with your game, the, the, the intentions of what you're trying to do, I think you have to be a little more careful with, right? You have to be a little more um, welcoming to the idea that somebody bought this game with an intended kind of like experience in mind, right? Yeah. And so like making those kind of like wholesale changes, you don't ever want to change the overall shape of whatever it was they were coming to this from, right? Yeah. So when you're talking about like keeping the rest of those historical events, part of it is because on some level, these people care about that time period. Yeah. They are interested in the actual history for it. And so to make your uh, alternate history spin wildly off into a completely different set of circumstances, is doing a disservice to the people who came to the game because they cared about interacting with the real world history. Yep. Right? And it's easier to do that and it's safer artistically to do that. If that's what you want to do, write a novel, don't write a game. Right? So. Elsa. Are we doing wrap ups or recommendations? Uh, both. Okay. <laughs> um, so, one, uh, Lauren Roy and I actually have a panel on that exact topic tomorrow. Okay, great. <laughs> Go to um, it. Yeah. So, you should come. Um, two, uh, you can find me on Twitter at SnarkBat. I do a lot of disability research and talk about how to incorporate disability into your writing. Um, and I've also got a class at Writing the Other, which I know is on his recommendation pages, and um, you should check it out because there are so many good classes through the Writing the Other website, and they are transformative. Mm -hmm. I'm deeply gra grateful that I get to work with them. Um, final thought really is read a lot before you start doing any kind of alternate history, whether it's research, whether it's other books or games that have touched on this, play Assassin's Creed because that's another alternate history game that really gets it right some of the time. Sometimes they some completely time. screw it up, yeah. but, but sometimes they do it really well. So it, it depends on which one. <laughs> but all, all in all, consume a lot of the media around yeah. that setting mm -hmm. before you touch it yeah and read all the history yes <laughs> um i think that my my biggest piece of advice would be uh don't be afraid to get it wrong um and then once you've gotten it wrong give it to people who will help you get it right uh to look at and work on um and honestly uh here like here's the biggest thing being transparent about why you're doing things is important uh when you're creating fiction or when you're creating uh, um, a game, but understand that death of the author really does happen, and as much as you think that uh, people are going to understand why you did something, they're going to have their opinions, uh, and that's okay. Uh, but be ready to cop to under like explaining yourself if you if you feel like you have to. But don't be afraid to do things that uh, might challenge uh, the the archetypes, or maybe even work with them. Uh, for me, uh, you know, you can find me online shoshanakesak.com or. On Twitter at Shoshana Kesak, uh, I like to say if you could spell my name, you can find me on the internet. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you so much. This is great. Thank you. Uh, so I want to uh, since I got to put together a presentation, I get the last word. Um, so I 
again, look at this uh, so you can see all these uh, things. Um, that that link will take you to this slideshow. Uh, so it's all my my sort of my personal list of starting places. It's just starting places. It's not a finish. My thoughts: read history written by locals and by marginalized communities. Um, that's part of what the uh, Zen Education Project project is about. Uh, my write for not about. Do not consider yourself a historian who is responsible for telling about a group. Imagine that you are writing for people who represent that group and make them, give them a history, an alternate history that they want. If you don't know, find out. Yeah. Um, so, uh, call attention to real historical diversity. I talked about that. Break stereotypes. Uh, we talked about that. Admit and change your behavior when, not if, you mess up, uh, as Shoshana said. And question assumptions, including your own. Uh, that's, those are my things to say. Uh, so, thank you. I'll hang out for a bit afterwards. So, thank you all. Uh-huh, absolutely. I'll be right there.